Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hi, I'm Pete Buttigieg, and this is The Deciding Decade. In spring 2020, the gun reform organization Everytown came out with a report that detailed gun violence in our country. They found that every day, more than 100 Americans are killed with guns and 200 more are shot and wounded. Our gun homicide rate is 25 times that of other high-income countries. Firearms are the leading cause of death for American children and teens. This issue has risen to the forefront of American politics because of the mass casualty events that have devastated our communities and the day-by-day violence that commands less attention but destroys even more lives. It's also getting attention because of the phenomenal work that groups like Everytown, Moms Demand Action, and March for Our Lives have done. Because there is so much work left to do, it's a great time to have a conversation, and we're joined by one of the leaders who has been doing extraordinary work day in and day out. Today, I'm joined by David Hogg, one of the founders of March for Our Lives, an organization dedicated to harnessing the power of young people across the country to fight for sensible gun violence prevention policies that save lives. In 2018, David, then a senior at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, was at school while a gunman with a semi-automatic rifle shot and killed 17 people and injured 17 others. 
It was the deadliest high school shooting in U.S. history. Since then, in addition to starting March for Our Lives with his peers, David has written a book with his sister called Hashtag Never Again, A Generation Draws the Line. And he's dedicated his time to fighting for gun legislation and other important causes. Now a busy student at Harvard, he has already accomplished so much and served as a leader, a guide, and an inspiration to many. David, welcome. Really glad to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me on here, Pete. I want to begin just by asking about your journey into activism, obviously born out of trauma, but also I gather you were a very civically interested person uh, as a high school student. What was that moment of propulsion like when you saw a nation watching what had happened to you and your peers and saw that even as a teenager, you had a toolkit that you could use to help turn that into a moment that might lead to a movement that would save lives? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, certainly an interesting moment. Uh, I think I realized that, you know, shortly after I got home, after the shooting had happened and my sister had gotten home, she was a freshman at the time and she had lost four friends that day. The unimaginable pain of that and the amount of crying that I heard made me so physically and emotionally uncomfortable that because for the first time in my life, as my sister's, you know, big brother, I couldn't do anything to make it better. So I decided to do the only thing that I really knew how to at the time. Uh, because of my experience in speech and debate and TV production, I knew that the far too many mass shootings that we've had in the country typically don't last more than a week at most, you know, in the media. And I didn't want, I didn't just want a bunch of talking heads going on, you know, CNN and Fox and stuff, debating random stuff without realizing the human cost of these tragedies. So I decided to go out there to speak for people like my sister who couldn't at the time, um, so that they would be able to tell their truth and speak about it when they were able to and make their voice heard after they're able to recover some, you know, and to this day, there are still many people, understandably, that haven't, you know, a lot of us will probably never recover fully from it. But that's kind of what it was like as I realized that, you know, um, initially I went out there to try to tell the story of what happened that day, uh, basically as a journalist. But I soon realized that only showing people the human cost of these things wasn't going to be enough to actually change and try to prevent them. Um, so after I got a text from a friend of mine, I met at his house with a bunch of other people. And that's how, uh, you know, we started talking about doing uh, a march in Washington where we thought we'd get about 90 people and ended up getting just about a million. So one of the things I really admired about what you built with March for Our Lives is an attention to the fact that gun violence is every day. So there are these headline grabbing moments that, let's face it, are more likely to involve more white victims on average than the day-to-day gun violence in so many cities, including my own, uh, where the victims are usually black and brown young men. And you formed a coalition of people who had experienced every different kind of gun violence with a lot of self-awareness. Can you talk about what that process was like and how people with very different life experiences were able to come together when their experiences of gun violence were also very different as you look from mass shootings to what's unfolding uh, almost nightly in, in so many of our communities? Yeah, I think that process of coalition building has been one of the most transformative and educational experiences of my lifetime. It showed me, especially, you know, coming from a community like Parkland, growing up in, you know, predominantly white suburbs my entire life, you know, I understood that I didn't understand what happens in North Miami or Liberty City, for example, to refer it to South Florida or anywhere else in the country that experiences gun violence. What we attempted to do uh, is come at it with a lens of humility and understanding that, you know, we don't know the work that goes on there on a daily basis. We don't know what happens with my friends on the south and west side of Chicago that work with the brave youth leaders of St. Sabina. One of the most important things that I learned in that process is that 
sometimes it's just as important as a leader um, to be able to shut up and just listen um, and just hear people to understand what they've gone through because you're not going to get that from the news because it, uh, these victims don't get it in the news rarely, if ever. Right. And as a result of that, you have to realize like all of these communities are incredibly traumatized, you know, and what's not going to save them is the history of like the intertwining of white supremacy and white saviorship mm. where people like myself, for example, would come from the suburbs oftentimes and say, here's what I'm going to do to save you and your community because of issues that I'm inherently complicit in, such as white supremacy. You know, I think for a lot of those people, myself included, I'll admit at the beginning, like it makes uncomfortable because we're taught a history that is heavily propagandized and whitewashed um, about the history of white supremacy and its foundations in this country. And I think really what I learned in that process more than anything is don't go to people and say, here's what I'm going to do for you. Here's how I'm going to save your community. You simply ask, how can I be supportive of what you're doing in a humble way? You know, and that's really what I've, what I've done. So being on national television puts a lot of pressure on your humility. And uh, one of the things I think about a lot for you and in your generation of activists is you're young people, you're in college, uh, you're in a formative stage of your life right now. And yet you, you also have a level of visibility that a lot of your classmates may wind up working decades to establish. How do you keep focus and, and how do you think about what you've already established versus what you still need to cultivate just personally in order to grow into the kind of citizen and leader and advocate that you aim to be in, in the long run? Yeah, I think it's it's certainly difficult because, you know, most 19, 18, 19, 20 year olds, you know, Actually, I was 17 when the shooting happened. Um, you know, most of us don't have a million people or more seeing every mistake that we make publicly. Um, and that's it's really difficult because, you know, in my opinion, a lot of learning is just a series of mistakes that you learn to, to stop making over time. And I feel a, a certain responsibility as a young person to admit to those mistakes when I do make them. And another lesson that I would say that I've learned through this process of learning how to lead by looking to really amazing, mainly women, actually, that are the predominant leaders in organizing I've seen get very little, if any, of the credit a lot of the time. By looking to them, I've realized that one of the most important things as a leader to do is know that it's equally important to know that you're right as it is to be able to admit when you're wrong and be okay with that and learn how to recover from that and have that validation of people around you that expect you to learn along the way. Um, and luckily, I have a great family in March for Our Lives, you know, of activists and young people uh, of all different races and classes, um, you know, from all over the country that, you know, now really are some of the best friends that I've ever made in my life that are, you know, helping me learn with that process um, and learning to call me in when I do mess up because I do, you know, um, I think the other thing, too, is realizing that uh, the important thing is that the work gets done. It's not so much the credit. So one thing that I try to do a lot of the time is always try to give credit to the people that I think are really doing the work because it's never really just me, at least in activism is like, there's a big problem with this like cloudiness stereotype within Gen Z, which is this belief that there's some activists that do this work because they want credit on social media or they want a following when really that's the opposite of why you should be doing this. Like you're doing this for other people. And what I try to do is just constantly shine credit to our team and other organizations too. I, I think in the nonprofit spaces, you know, it's understandable that there are, there's competition for funding. But I, I think it's important to highlight the work that especially is being done uh, ha and has been done before groups like March for Our Lives were ever here in the first place in those predominantly black and brown communities and, and highlight them and, you know, share the spotlight to help create a rising tide for all of us, because it's only going to work if we're all working together on this.
The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut. Every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. This is a live debate with a lot of the Gen Z activists that, that I talked to. Uh, not long ago, we talked to Rene Otero, who was uh, featured in this film, Boy State, a uh, remarkable young uh, activist who participated in this program that was all about civic education and walked away from it, drawing two conclusions. One, he really wants to be involved in, in the world around him. And two, he wants absolutely nothing to do with politics. I see something a little bit different in, in your approach, but also during the, the summer of response and reaction to the murder of George Floyd a lot of tension over the question of whether, you know, voting and what happens at the ballot box is, is kind of the right destination for a lot of this activism. So I'm wondering how much have you wrestled with that? Do you feel like it, there really is a, a kind of debate with two sides or maybe something more complicated going on? Uh, you know, how do we square the importance of politics with the awareness that this is not something that politics alone can fix? I think a lot of the time, my kind of metaphor is that we're trying to compare like an Allen wrench, I guess you could say, to like a hammer. When we have really like we have a toolbox for social change making. And in my opinion, it's like we we have yes, there are times when like we have to protest, there are times when we have to organize, there are times when we have to lobby, there are times when we have to um heal and take care of ourselves. 
there's also times where we have to vote. But I see all of these things as basically different tools that we can use to try to pressure the system to get better over time. And we can't leave out any one of those because these com- communities across the country don't have an option for their own survival of, of not to use one. We have to get this change as quickly as possible because people are dying on a daily basis. Let's say like protesting and organizing at times might be like a hammer and the crowbar that helps, you know, just bust open the door of social change might be voting in combination with, uh, you know, registering a lot of other people to vote, but voting consistently to add that leverage on continuously over time. It's not a or question like, do you vote or do you protest? It's an and question of like, how can we vote and how can we protest to create this change as quickly as we needed to? But that's how I kind of see it is, you know, we just can't leave out any of these tools and we got to use everything that we can. And to leave out voting, especially, you know, if I think back to even people like John Lewis was here, who we talked with right before the march and his experience with voting and the how much they've had to fight to get that right. And young people too, you know, 18 year olds have not had the right to vote since after the Vietnam War. Um, and we have to use that right because there it's it's not permanent. We've seen time and time again, it is so much easier to steamroll over the rights of the people to be heard than it is to open it up and enable everybody to be heard. So you've been obviously very deeply involved and formed by activism around common sense gun legislation. But I know from talking to you that your mind ranges pretty far. What other issues command your attention right now, either as a student in the things that you're being exposed to or in in your life as an activist and advocate and citizen? Um, I think one of them is realizing that, you know, gun violence is an issue around laws, but it's also um, it's a symptom of much bigger injustice. And we need to address the reasons why young people are, especially in communities most impacted by systemic injustice, are picking up a gun in the first place. It's a lack of opportunity. You know, in my opinion, the reason why communities like Parkland don't have shootings on a daily basis isn't because we have the most police, it's because we have the most resources, right? And we need to realize that, especially white people in this country, have a lot of uncomfortable truths to uncover about the fact and privilege that, you know, many of us have uh, and, and the way that that impacts other communities by, by starving them of resources a lot of the time. But um, I, I think confronting the systemically racist history of our country and realizing that if we acknowledge the kind of intolerance that were expressed by, frankly, many of our founding fathers, that doesn't mean that we're anti-American. That means that we care about all Americans. We want to build a better country for everyone, right? Um, where everybody is treated equally. And we're not just blindly following this belief that Frankly, that all the founding fathers were really great people. Like they weren't. They, there was a lot of white nationalism that they expressed and talked about. And that's uncomfortable for a lot of white people. We have to confront those like incredibly dark truths. But I guess looking at the way that that injustice plays into it and, and, and plays into gun violence as a whole and how we can build a, a, a better country from that. Um, because I think of it kind of like Dr. King uh, famously talked about three evils of society, and I would add a fourth one to that. The evils were militarism, poverty, and racism. I would add environmental destruction to that um, with climate change and everything. And I really see the level of gun violence that a community faces or an indigenous nation faces um, as a consequence of the level of injustice that they've faced. That's why, for example, indigenous nations have the highest rate per capita police brutality of any group in the country. And they have one of the highest suicide rates in the country because they've, they've faced incredible amounts of uh, at times, literal starvation, uh, and, and also metaphorically speaking, too, in terms of just a lack of resources. And I think of the role that it's played in Black communities, especially that were redlined in the 1930s and 40s, and the way that that's impacted them, the way that the United States, you know, never actually paid reparations to Black Americans, 
we've had these systems that have been built around our current economic system that really are not meant to rehabilitate people, never really have been because they're founded and rooted in systemic racism, like prison, for example. Um, and arguably, you know, considerable amounts of our policing system that we need to take a hard look at and figure out how do we completely reimagine, in my opinion, public safety so that everyone in every community is kept safe. It, that makes me want to ask about something that, that I think is so important in efforts to bring about change, which is how you make it possible for people to get through that discomfort and change, right? How to make it okay for people to change their mind. This was, uh, I think, a big part of what happened in my state during the fight over equality under Mike Pence, for example, when there was some really awful LGBTQ legislation. And I saw the importance of giving people who were a little bit whiplashed by change maybe grew up very conservative, but also were guided by a sense of compassion or at least questioning what they'd been told, you know, giving them a way to kind of beckon them onto what I viewed as the right side of history versus trying to drag them there. And with so much at stake, whether it's around LGBTQ equality or racial justice or gun violence or any of the issues we're talking about, I'm sure you've seen efforts that backfire and efforts that succeed in terms of creating that space for people. So what have you learned about what it takes to make it even possible for somebody to to move, to change, to shift, to grow? One of the best examples that I've seen of that was when we talked to some of the counter protesters, you know, on tour that would show up at our events armed to the teeth or whatever with an AR-15 or multiple handguns and, you know, like a, a gun, a hand knife and you know, their assault weapon, you know, strapped over their, their shoulder or whatever, protesting and screaming that we were crisis actors that, you know, were paid by George Soros. Also, that's not even the case. Like, I, I, I it's been two and a half years that I still, you know, it, it, it's just crazy conspiracy theory. <laughs> you're not gonna, you're not making money off of this one. No. In some of those cases, those people ended up actually being really bad people. I didn't realize, for example, that some of them were Proud Boys that were protesting us or at times neo-Nazis. But by talking to some of the other people, you know, that were out there, I realized that, you know, in one conversation that I had explaining that, Creating comprehensive gun laws doesn't mean taking everyone's guns away, you know, and, and talking about why we believe what we do. For example, the reason why the shooter at our high school was able in part to keep his AR-15 and legally own it um, was because he was able to legally buy an AR-15. He was, you know, he was 19 at the time or whatever. He was under 21. You know, I, I've talked to my dad about this, who's a former FBI agent. And it's a really interesting conversation to have with a you know, family member that's so you know, worked in law enforcement for decades, you know, you can't even use those weapons like inside of a house if you're in a raid or something, because a lot of the time, like if you shoot that, it's so powerful. It's going to go through the person you're trying to shoot through a wall and into some kid possibly in another room, right? So what are you actually doing like with that weapon and talking to them about that and the fact that, you know, even though the shooter at our high school had made threats and stuff, had signs of, you know, possibly being dangerous. There was nothing that could be done because there was not a law on the books that could have taken his gun away through due process, obviously, and a right to counsel because he obviously shouldn't have had an AR-15 in the first place if you're threatening to kill people. And they're like, well, I agree with that, you know, and there were a number of areas where we didn't agree, but overall, they act, a lot of, a few of them actually ended up crying because they realized like, you know, the hate that they had was really misdirected and that, you know, we're human beings too, and we just don't want kids to die anymore. The difficult thing is those conversations can't only be had by me or any one person. It needs to be had by all of us. It needs to be had with our family members and have these uncomfortable conversations and explain why we believe what we believe and how we believe this represents a better country for all of us where everyone can be equal and ensure the domestic tranquility in every community. 
One other thing I wanted to ask you about, you're a student at Harvard. I remember my time there uh, about 20 years ago. Uh, I was there when 9-11 happened. And I still find it a little bit disorienting to speak to students who were born right around that time. I wonder if you thought to the future, uh, 20 years from now, when you might be encountering a student who was born right around the time of the killings at Parkland, and what would you hope that they would be working on? Uh, If your generation delivers what needs to happen on gun violence, what would you hope a future generation of activists would be working on? You know, I think, first of all, I hope that in the future, we look back on school shooter drills, for example, the same way that we look back on, you know, air raid drills during the Cold War as completely irrational things that really, you know, we're trying to get citizens to protect themselves from when really it should be the government like working to change these things. And I hope that that person is working towards figuring out how how, especially with the advances in technology that we've seen over the past century, how we can make sure that everyday people have a fair dis- like distribution of the amount of work that they're putting into these systems. Because I would rather have a country where people have healthcare that's affordable and are able to go to college and have a good job and have their fair cut of the effort that they put in to make this country one of the largest economies in the world. Um, and they, they get their fair share of that. Um, I would like to see our country become one that works at prioritizing overall happiness for its people and, you know, peace and safety for that and opportunity for anyone that comes to our shores too, including immigrants. I I think it can get better. We just got to get a lot more young people involved that try to promote human compassion and decency and humility. Like so many, I am, of course, deeply impressed by David and his March for Our Lives peers. It's not just what they've achieved at their age, it's what they have achieved, period. We can all look to their work on gun violence prevention as a roadmap for how to turn tragedy into a movement, into action. The reality is most Americans agree on things like background checks. We can make this happen. But as David said, it's not just gun violence and gun laws that we need to tackle. The violence that we're seeing in this country is part of a bigger pattern of injustice, racial, socioeconomic, and more. So we can't stop even if we round the corner on gun legislation. I know that David Hogg and March for Our Lives won't be stopping, and we can continue looking to them for hope and moral leadership. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, Every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. 
Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX, now playing, and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. 